It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to our work cookie recording as we talk to IOs, HR, recruiters, one actor, and all of those of us who like to gather and talk about helping people in business. Uh, Today, we're going to look at linking measurements to motivation. And Linda Ann, let's go right to you and that question. So I was unclear about the direction of the topic today and whether it's referencing the measuring of employees' motivation or using metrics to motivate employees. And Linda Ann, that's just one of the reasons that we absolutely love you, which means maybe we'll change the title of the event when we post on the podcast. So to give a little, um, I guess, guiding kinds of uh, fodder for today, which I'll put up on the screen for everyone. So we're going to talk about looking at like, for example, are we looking at maybe, so looking at performance, you can kind of, you can parallel this to companies, sports teams, schools, whatever it may be in terms of what are we looking at? Are we looking at the average uh, score, for example, of performance, or are we going to look at more of a, a, like a percentile bringing up the, the poor performers and how can we do that? So we're going to look at for at that, for example, we'll look at sustainability of what we decide to measure, um, the particular motivations. How does that link into it? So, for example, we talk about you know as IOs, we love this term called OCB, organizational citizenship behavior, and we can look at what happens when maybe we take motivation with the, your star performers and use them to start to teach train and provide that mentorship for the lower performing. So if you only focus on so we'll, we'll if you only focus on the the star performers, the low performers often get missed. But if you focus only on the average performers in terms of measuring, then your high performers and low performers get missed. So is it are we looking at a rising tide, you know, lifts the tide for everyone or are we saying let's focus on a certain number of people and bring them aboard the most capable boats or the most most broken down boats. So Linda Ann, you look more confused than when I started, but we're going to look at what what behaviors should we motivate? We also have to pay attention to other behaviors that might be unintentional based on what we're trying to use for motivation. And we'll also look at in terms of 
you know, how is it, how is it measured? Because we're imperfect as human beings. Data is much more perfect than sometimes the purpose that we want to get out of it. So making sure that we're measuring the right thing for our intended purposes. For example, are we trying to measure, should we, re- should we really be measuring goals and achieving goals or should we be measuring uh, progress and improved performance since last time? So it is a wide open discussion. Linda Ann, on a scale of one to two, how, more, how, how much more clear, how, how, how bad did I make it? No, it, it's, um, it's more clear to me and it, and it fits in, it fits inside my paradigm in my brain. Off to the races. Very good. Um, Tom, because I know you're going to ask me about any kind of an update anyway. So I will mention that tomorrow at noon for any path Seabock Pathfinder members, it's going to be the first peer group and led by Megan Malone, who is here today. So check your either emails or check your Pathfinder portal for information on that. Also, if you signed up for a Pathfinder or expert membership, um, you're, you should have already. Sometimes these emails get sent to spam when you're taken off the wait list. So we're caught up except for about two weeks. So if it's been farther than two weeks back since you've signed up for a membership, contact hello at cbock.com and we'll resend you the information on memberships. And also, can we just get a quick update, uh, Ms. Destiny Preet, Dr. Destiny Preet, on how well the Tuesday event went? Sure. Hi. <laughs> See, I know I'd be called out if my camera was on. Um, so yes, the Tuesday event actually went really well. Um, we had over a hundred and I think 50 people sign up between different mediums. And we had about at any given point, about 33 to, I think there was actually up to 40 something at one point on the, on the call. Um, and it's an awesome opportunity for people who are new to the field, thinking about the field experience in the field to come together and really just network and share um, and, and provide, you know, another place of belonging, uh, which is, you know, one of the aims of CBOC. So yeah, and we're doing it at least monthly. And so the next one will be on 13th of De- or 13th September. I'm already thinking December, y'all. It's <laughs> I love the holidays. What can I say? <laughs> um, and um, in addition to that, I'm going to start incorporating um, more uh, events such as a lunch hour and things like that to try to capture more of the, you know, of the group because they're all over the world. We have a global representation. So, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jeremy. And the name, so we, it's, a, it's a collaborative event, uh, and I'm not as good as Tom, so I don't actually give a proper intro when I'm leading into these things. So it was an IO mixer that there was the third one, my apologies. And then Destiny, your uh, organization is called? IO Military Experts, uh, where service meets work. And so it's really just a marketplace for people to um, come and find people that are in the field and also military connected. And it's we're, we're in the initial stages, as Jeremy knows, but we have a lot of interest and a lot of traction. So it's very exciting. Thank you for sharing. Tom, over to you. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, let's get back to our topic, because as you're talking, the things that are running through my head is what a great idea, except sometimes when we start to motivate people, you know, and you talked about who do we who do we do this to who who are we looking at to analyze? Um, it, it can sort of feel like you're under the magnifying glass, and then somebody gets chosen, and everyone else is going, "Why are they special?" And then we get to the motivation part, 
And instead of a positive, it can sometimes feel like I'm being punished. So how do we keep all of this in a positive mindset? How do we make this feel like it's not employees being picked on? We're actually here to help you. I'll go ahead and start out just for example, when we look at the two different types of competition, usually there's competition against uh, an individual or there's competition against a goal. And there are, you know, there's pros and cons of each, but in general, if you can make it that competition towards a, towards a goal that requires more than one person in order to get it done, that's where a lot of the, a lot of the magic happens. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> too, too, too rosy and Pollyanna for you, Tom. I think so. But Dr. Ariana is going to help us out. Let's go to her. Yeah. I'm going to come at this topic from my current field of work, which is culture assessment. So, I mean, we we really talk about culture and really broad objectives of getting engagement, creating trust, having safety and speaking out in the workplace. So we often have this broader goal in mind when doing a company-wide assessment. Um, and then we leverage things like heat maps. And if you're unfamiliar with a heat map, it's pretty much showing your scores across the cultural dimensions by different departments, by different tenure levels. And that helps us to understand the pockets within the organization in which we can, you know, take a compassionate approach to addressing. So it's less like honing in on a specific area and just letting the data tell us where the gaps are and where the strengths are. How do we, as employees, how do we, because we sort of talk about this from top down where, you know, the CEOs need to, you know, see this and then bring in someone like an IO to work with the employees but as employees, you know, we're on the front line. We're the ones who are getting frustrated. We're the ones who need to be motivated and recognized. So how do we change the direction of the flow? How, how can employees step forward? Is it going to HR? Is it suggesting some, is it suggesting you listen to work cookie? What are some of the answers that you would suggest, Dr. Ariane? Your question is if employees themselves are unmotivated and how do they speak up about their lack of like their disengagement? Yeah, if they're if they're part of a team, they're in an organization and they're going, boy, if everybody was motivated, <laughs> we need to accomplish a lot more. So how do they go to leadership? You know, I am a huge proponent of organizations conducting culture assessments like these because it is very hard for an individual employee to speak out. Sometimes the reporting mechanisms such as ethics and compliance hotlines, HR systems, they're often, you know, addressing a higher level, more serious concerns. So we often see a disconnect for those smaller issues. But we are seeing more organizations creating um, kind of middle way reporting avenues where it's for that gray area. So we see things like more minor microaggressions going to into that space where people can, you know, begin to be signaled that this might be a concern, even though according to, you know, the code of ethics, it's maybe not a direct violation. So it's that like, maybe they're just using a tone, but maybe we want to also work on that. But I think in ethical culture assessments and other culture assessments, we see that it helps to identify where these pockets are. And one of the most important dimensions that we have in ours, in my opinion, is leadership. So when we see how leaders are modeling the values and how they are encouraging their employees to have a voice in meetings or not, um, it is, it does, it can target, you know, specific leadership areas, but even then it's not about, you know, like giving a penalty to the leader. It's knowing that maybe that's an area for leader development. And I think that's really important because we need to understand that organizations are a system 
and that employees need to be empowered. And yes, they should have avenues to speak up, but really it's leaders that create that environment. And, and it looks like we're creating new environments for leaders with the online world. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I like what Dr. Ariana was saying about looking at the organization as a whole and then kind of getting a feel for what's going on uh, by different variables, be it by department, by tenure, things like that. And I think that's a very good uh, way of looking at things. But beyond that, um, we can't stop with that. Beyond that, we know that at the end of the day, individuals are motivated by different things. Uh, what one person will find to be a good motivator, another will not. And I'll tell you, over the years, I have learned to pick my battles, so to speak. Sometimes um, you may want things to be aligned in a certain way and everybody's doing this and everybody's performing in this way and what can we do to get it there but maybe you have one or two outliers that just aren't fitting into that particular box that you want them in. And the question then becomes, do we spend a lot of time banging our heads against the wall or do we worry more about the things that truly matter within performance, within what's going on on a daily basis? The people in the trenches, like you said, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk theoretics, but the people who are on the front lines, the people in the trenches, we have to pay attention to what's going on with them. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a very stressful position within an organization and maybe you have a lot of interaction with customers or whatever the case may be, you know, you may not really find much value in, in a free lunch. Another person might. Um, so I think there's a great deal to consider. I like the idea of getting um, a feel for the organization as a whole, trying to zone in on what's happening, but we can't forget the individuals because that's going to make a difference. And we all know that one rotten apple can spoil everything. So, yeah, and, and I've never actually heard of an organization who, when it comes to awarding employees, goes, what would you like? Right. I, I don't know if anyone's ever been that bold. Um, Linda Ann, maybe one of your organizations. No, but I... <clears throat> I, in both of with what Dr. Anna said and what Dr. Martha, I I can't separate the right because for me, you look at the an organizational alignment. If it's, you're working towards getting employees motivated, it has to start at the top and clarity of message. But the the real work happens at the employee level, right? It happens at the grassroots level. So you create that priority at the top. But it happens down in the front lines and in and with each individual employee. And I see it as a cyclical event. In other words, when you have a particular leader that's aligned with the purpose of the organization, the cause of the organization, right, then they're motivated to achieve that. They don't do it on their own. And so they have employees that they work with that they need to align to what the leader needs to do to succeed. So when the leader is motivated to succeed, then you would hope they would do what it takes to motivate their employees so that it lifts them up in their success. So it's a cyclical event between the leader and the employee at each level. Does that make sense? It, well, it does, but I'm gonna ask you the question, <laughs> for so long, the motivation from leadership down to the front line has been your paycheck. You know, why should I motivate you? I'm paying you. Um, 
how do we get away from this? Because it ultimately doesn't seem to work. Because that's not what motivates people. That's right. The people are our current um, candidate base is telling you that's not what's important to them. They're saying, I want to be connected to something greater than myself. I want to be connected to something that matters in the world. And so if you look at making sure that there's some kind of alignment with that purpose in your organization and helping them connect and do their career pathing to achieve that, then you've moved past it. Um, your benefit is your paycheck. Well, let's hope <laughs> that we head in that direction. Uh, Jeannie, thank you very much for joining us. Unmute your mic and um, share your voice with us. Well, I think a certain part of it um, has to be employees have to be able to read the culture of the organization as well, because um, as an employee, I did this very thing where I reached out to my supervisor and I proposed questions and uh, my questions she didn't know the answers to. So I uh, went, uh, in a sense, above her head, um, or I, tri- I, I was going to, and I was told that I had to include my supervisor, which I thought would be no problem because I did already do that. And so, but when I went back to my supervisor, Oh, she got her feelings hurt and it was not, and I don't know whether it was just because she was a new leader and she's insecure and she's learning her job, or if as an organization, they really don't want to hear from the employees. So reading the culture and understanding uh, if the employee um, were, if, if the words from the employees even matter to the company or not. Yeah, it can sometimes be dangerous being an employee and speaking up. Um, Amanda, let's go to you. Hello, everyone. Um, One thing that keeps coming to mind as I'm hearing the discussion about motivation is knowing and trying to figure out what are they calling motivation? Because even within the literature, there is absolutely no consensus. There's no unified theory. um, Because if you can, an analogy I use often is you consider um, a Oh, what are they called? Um, lighthouse refracting um, lens and motivations at the center. And the way in which it's been looked at has been through emotion, through behavior, through uh, personality, through desires, goals, wants, etc. Um, Gary Latham is probably one of the first people that have tried to put this together in his um, work motivation text. Um, and I was just trying to find an image of it because it was a really good way of just comprehensively looking at um, the integrated model. I'll post a link to it. Um, but it is looking at it at what frame of motivation is it that we're really trying to actually, no, that's not it. Um, I'll find it and post it in the um, chat. But trying to decide on which frame of motivation is it that we're trying to look at it from? Uh, because if we can somewhat do that scoping and narrowing the field that which we're looking at that field of motivation so big you may event you may as well be putting on a blindfold and playing darts uh because you might be hitting the right thing you may not um but in doing that scoping you might be able to go oh okay so they're looking at that there is a discrepancy in maybe meaning is that, that the employees don't have a sense of meaning in their work because there is a divide between the upper management and their direct supervisors of how do you translate the organization's mission, vision, goal, et cetera, to their direct role of how do you contribute to the organization at whole. Um, 
there's some really, there's 10 good questions he came up with as a diagnostic tool for a high performance cycle. That can just be a really good way in which to just kind of identify what, what could be the area of gap. I'll throw those in the chat. And I've used this in practice really frequently, and it's really helped to hone in in certain offices or with certain individuals. Where are you struggling in trying to obtain that high performance cycle? If you're already at the high performance cycle, what is maybe restricting you? And a lot of times I have found that it may be that systematic stuff that was being uh, referenced considering that they're within a system. There may be situational or environmental constraints, which is very common within the area I work, which is government, because there are a lot of bureaucratic structure that you need to contend with. And some of it can't go anywhere just because of the nature of the organization. Um, but taking a step back before trying to prescribe, so diagnosing before prescribing, we can maybe do a better job at hitting what the client's needs are because that that scope of motivation is really huge. Let me ask you, uh, Amanda, how, you, you talked about being in government and Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the those sort of you know industries that we don't actually talk about a lot because we we keep forgetting about it. But <laughs> how, what are some of the, the the differences when it comes to working in the corporate world and working in the the government world, especially when it comes to measuring and motivating people? I don't think that there's a real difference between how it's just what can government not do what the private sector can do, because there is statutes that require um, employees not to get anything above a nominal amount in any sort of thing, unless if it is an already put together award program that is sponsored by the organization. So things of like monetary incentives, $5 is the max for a lot of organizations, both federal and at the state and local level. And that is just, that's a situational constraint for that organization. So it's something that needs to be acknowledged. And then like, okay, so then what can we do? Is it that the organization needs to look at putting together an award process and program where they have a certain amount of funds that are put together for this purpose? Great. That's okay. Cool. You can do that. Um, And there are agencies that do do that. There's other agencies because they're so small, they don't have the budgetary capacity by which to do so that. So again, that's a constraint. So it's one thing I have found is that there are individuals that feel so stagnant in their roles that they don't, they're like, they're burnt out because they're doing the same thing. They're not feeling that challenge. So it's trying to get that motivation between desire and challenge. If it's too challenging, they're not going to be motivated because there's going to be the hesitation of, I'm not going to succeed at this. So finding that sweet spot and maybe it's, um, doing some outward growth and finding an additional responsibility to put in that's new. And hey, there's a learning curve. There's something new, something motivating to say, hey, now what's a goal for you to do this? And adding some personal value to that goal. Thank you very much for that. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. 
That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Jeremy, let's go to you next. Then, Holly, we're going to come to you. Tom, I just raised my hand. I'll give it back to Holly. My thought can definitely. All right, Holly, off to you. Okay, thanks. Um, Amanda, I loved a lot of what you had mentioned. And when I think of motivation, I think that it's a means and not an end. And, you know, from a a company and performance orientation, a motivational system should provide optimal levels of performance and not simply comfort or pleasure or entertainment. And I think that's a key differentiator. Um, And uh, research has shown that key motivation components are attention, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction. And those facets will change over time. And as far as, um, you know, workplace behavior goes and workplace motivation goes will change within a role. So beyond, you know, one easy way to ask um, how to motivate your employees is to ask what motivates them. What are their preferences? How do they like to be rewarded, recognized? And uh, what are consequences that mean something to them? And it's as simple as having a conversation. And I think leaders don't always understand how much power and insight they can have over how they can drive and maintain motivation as a system internally, uh, which is something I always like to hit on. And, um, you know, as far as money not always being available to access for people that are motivated um, by that kind of reward, um, it's something else is to recognize that um, there's a career lattice, not just a career ladder. And so finding dynamic ways to pivot somebody who maybe is low on attention, but high on confidence, right? Um, or low on satisfaction, but high in, in relevancy. How can there be a lattice within an organization to keep them internal, maintain that um, sunk cost uh, from the talent management side of things, and maybe pivot them to a different role within the organization? I know a lot of organizations do this, but um, really getting honed in on that lattice, not just the ladder and what motivation people. Yeah, I love that concept of let's get rid of the ladder. I love a lattice. It makes so much more sense. Dr. Martha, over to you. Um, Something you had mentioned earlier about the paycheck as a motivator made me think of Herzberg's hygiene motivation theory, where this goes back to, I think, back in the 60s, the idea of a paycheck and proper tools and resources and a um, good place to work, good working environment. Those are basics. And those are not really what motivate people. It's the lack of those things that will do the opposite, that will demotivate people. Whereas true motivation or more powerful motivators are things like job satisfaction and growth opportunities and contribution, uh, things like that. So your comment made me think of that old theory, but I think that it still holds true, although we're hearing more and more about employees seeking more meaning out of their work experience than maybe they have done so 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, But the reality is not new. This has been known for a while now through that theory that it is the lack of the basics that will get people demotivated, but it takes other things to truly motivate beyond just those basics. Yeah, very true. Uh, but let me ask you this. Does it depend when it comes to, you know, awarding employees or giving them something that they appreciate or constructing that 
perfect work-life balance. Do larger corporations have an advantage over a mom and pop business uh, who may have, you know, under 10 employees, or is it really important for them as well to find these ways to appreciate their employees? And maybe it's easier because they only have 10 employees. Well, I think it will depend on so many things. Going back to what Holly was saying about how things change over the uh, lifespan of your career and, you know, things, your perspective will change with gain of experience. So if you think about um, even people, when they look for work, you probably will know at some point whether you prefer to work for a small company or whether you prefer to work for a large company. And some of that preference will probably have something to do with what that size of a company can offer you, right? Maybe more bells and whistles, but you're just one of many versus a more individual experience with not as many resources, potentially. That's that's a generalization. But I think that once you've had an opportunity as an employee to try a couple of things out, you will make up your mind in terms of your preferences. So again, it keeps going back to the individual, even though it's all connected. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So to build on what Dr. Um, Martha was saying about her theory uh, being hygiene, it's it's absolutely important that I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to pay your industry standards throughout. However, there's that secondary piece to it where when you're talking about keeping your employees and how you're increasing their pay, it has to be at a minimum at the uh, cost of living adjustment at a very basic minimum. And that's without the merit pay. Because if you don't, you set your company up, your individuals up for compression, which means over time, your new hire, if they're at industry rate, will be making more than your current employees, right? So then the only way they can get industry rate is to leave. So you have to really pay attention to how you're managing your salaries. And do you want merit pay? Merit pay needs to be on top of your cost of living adjustment. So that's one thing as far as the hygiene level of your salaries. Otherwise, you're forcing people to leave. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, ask a question. I was just wondering because I saw this report that after 2008 and the financial crisis that we went through, that, you know, with all of the government spending that went in there, companies were able to recover over the next 10 years. But one thing that didn't recover were employees' wages, that businesses became profitable again, they started to make money, but it wasn't employees who were seeing that. So let me ask you, generally, are employees underpaid? Um. It depends on how really how long they've been with the company, I think, in some cases, because if they're out there in the first of all, the uh, information for what a salary level is for a given position is so available now. And so anybody who goes ahead and and does a negotiation for um, a salary has data that that wasn't available 10, 15 years ago. So if they're underpaid, that's, you know, and another kind of issue. Plus, there's there's regulations now that are out there, like for, in Colorado, you're not allowed to ask about a previous salary and your salary um, uh, and the job postings need to post the salary range. And that's to avoid uh, gender gaps and things like that. So 
Um, I, I don't think that they're underpaid, but I think within an organization, if you stay too long, you can be underpaid if they're not paying attention properly to salary. And what about the difference between underpaid and undervalued? I saw Holly raise that in the chat. Are we, <laughs> is, are those two different questions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so in I can be, mind, in my I, mind, they are. I could be valued more, but not get a pay increase. I think there's whole, um, uh, career lines that are underpaid for what they deliver, right? Nurses. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. I'm going to draw a parallel between what, what, how, what you guys were just talking about. When you look at the value, um, a, a lot of times, so part of it too is you look at the value that one brings to the organization and are they being paid fairly? So, you know, value can be taken as intrinsic value or being paid fairly value. So that's always, you know, when we, when we talk about these, it's important to, to define the terms in terms of our perspective. Um, so, you know, everyone out there listening, if you're having this conversation about employees feeling valued, make sure that you're saying, you know, are mean paid fairly or intrinsically. So on that note, and this, this goes back to, to the hygiene theory, because we look at the individual and we look at organization and healthy organizations, organizations that are surviving or organizations that can employ people. And what I'm about to say, there's going to be, you know, thousands of people out there that are saying, no, Jeremy, don't, don't say that. Don't tell, don't tell companies this, but think about it. There's a lot of companies that throw money at people and it's not really serving their intended purpose. And what it's like, you've got this line. Once people are being paid what they believe is fair to them, they, yes, they will accept more money. Um, but being paid more doesn't make them more satisfied with their work and exhibit those organizational citizenship behavior, you know, give that extra effort that they need to more money tip doesn't do that. It's things like motivation and challenging work and the appreciation and all these other things, opportunity to grow. However, on the opposite, if people are paid, not if people aren't paid what they believe is fair for their position and for their actual value, then they can become in a dissatisfied state. So that's a key point, uh, something to keep in mind. Um, getting back for a second to the motivation and the measurement. It's important to look at the underlying behaviors too. And look at a look at, for example, you know, what are we measuring? And are we measuring what's best to increase motivation? So take a take a football team. You want to win games and you want to win your championship. So are you measuring, you know, you, you got all the stats, you've got your touchdowns, you've got your yards, you've got everything that you want. But on the back end, think about the different behaviors. Are you going to start to measure? Maybe you're measuring, you know, coming to practice early. Maybe you're measuring uh, more reviews, more more team reviews of gameplays. Maybe you're measuring, you know, peer team member meetups or mentor meeting. Maybe you know whatever. But you're starting to measure those underlying things, those desired behaviors that will increase one's chance of winning. So it's important to look at this, whether it's a uh, you know, whether it's construction, whether it's marketing, whatever it may be, to start to look at what are the behavior, what, what's the goal, what are the behaviors, and make sure that we're measuring those particular behaviors to get to that goal. Because the main, one of the main things is it helps to small wins. Small wins are very important. Small wins create momentum for individuals and also teams. And Tom, back to you. I just want to ask you briefly, Jeremy, about, you know, Holly mentioned the power of leadership talking to, you know, the employees, talking to those frontline workers. Uh, and it's something that you've talked about a lot, you know, the, the magic of that and, and what leadership can really learn. But I want to flip that for a second. And because we're talking about motivation and how do you measure it and, you know, how do you award it? What's the role of the employee or how can the employee benefit themselves 
by having, you know, by joining those conversations that leadership wants to have in them and taking advantage of it so that you do express yourself. Are there any sort of, you know, I don't want to go into the negotiation field, but are there some advice you can give to employees about how to have conversations with leadership? Self-advocacy is a very powerful thing. It's also even advocating for other people is a very powerful thing. I've coached a number of people very recently through some some very tough, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just call them negotiations because that's what they are. And there are some that are, okay, look, I'm, I'm 50% where I want to be. I'm 70% where I want to be. But the key, the, the key that I get back, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting text messages that say, just advocating for myself gave me such a boost of confidence. I never thought I could. I never thought, um, you know, you know, now I can actually be satisfied because I, I knew I did what was important and I, and I took these chances and I feel stronger as a person. And I also have a better relationship with this individual, whether it be a boss or a, a spouse. It's very important to do that. And it's also very empowering to advocate for other people. So if management is giving the opportunity, you know, the key with management is, you know, first off, you know, do's and don'ts for management. Do ask employees to be involved in the conversation. When they're involved, don't disregard what they say. If you if you're bringing them to the table, you you do have to listen. And often, man, you know, some, sometimes we think, oh, well, we're giving them that that open space. But it's important to make sure that they're again feeling heard and understood, and know that you're taking it into consideration and action. And that can be a very powerful thing for people too. So employees, if you're given an opportunity to speak, even if you're not, suggest it. Well, what, you know, say very simply to your boss, what would happen if we, we scheduled a 15 minute conversation to um, uh, just to get to know each other a little better so I can be more effective. And then you have that conversation, you'd be surprised. So yes, I would say definitely. If I, if I may, Tom, something that Holly also mentioned, I'm going to do a screen share. I thought I had this, this huge, innovative new term and I looked it up and it's already taken. So here's the term. So I created, I'm looking through all this research prepping for today. And I decided we have organizational citizenship behavior. Tom, can you see my white, my I can. bullets? Okay. Yep. So I'm kind of there because just while we're talking today, I thought, I wonder if motivational citizenship is a thing. And maybe it's not a term that I can coin today on August 18, 2020. And I did a Google search, but there's only 323 results, which means it really doesn't exist. If there's only 323, it doesn't exist. You put it in quotes, so it comes together. So, but think about this. And what I wrote down here at the bottom was what Holly mentioned about what is motivation. And Holly, let me know if I, if I missed one of the variables here. Attention, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction. So if you look at this motivational citizenship model, it's kind of like that. It's like being an advocate. Um, kind of like what I, with, uh, you know, you like an onboarding advocate with the workplace or, with a coworker or supervisor to employee or managing up, but what can we do? So there's uh, five things here, create environment, which I just added about 10 minutes ago after Ariana spoke, because you mentioned that and I realized I'm missing this piece. So the model is create environment, remove barriers to motivation, inspire, teach a variety of responses to events, which is resilience, that's what resilience is, or uh, uh, responses to challenges and create momentum. And then I thought, I was thinking about what Holly said. So, and then I thought, how well does this line up? Attention, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction. So we've got these four things. Again, for people listening to the podcast, the uh, brand new created today, which hopefully doesn't exist anywhere. (laughs) 
Motivational citizenship model, create environment, remove barriers to motivation, inspire, teach a variety of response to challenges, which is resilience and create momentum. How well do they line up with motivation, meaning attention, relevance, confidence, and satisfaction? Tom, back over. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Jeremy. Alana, let's go over to you. Hi. So Holly also mentioned something earlier where she talked about the direct impact that leaders have when it comes to motivation. And one of the things that I've found is that conversation between finding out what not just motivates a team member or an employee, but finding out like, what do they want to do? What are their life goals? If you can find those things out and you can find out ways that you and the organization can help them, or if there's gaps that they can fill for organizations that don't necessarily necessarily have that black and white of these are your duties and responsibilities. If there's some gray area in there, for people to do things that actually fall in line with their future goals. I found that people have been more inclined to want to do certain types of tasks because they know that, okay, well, if I start to understand these different parts of my job, then it will take me further when I get to the next level. If we don't have those conversations and we just give people a role and duties and responsibilities and we say, here, have at it, then we can't, we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to have that. And Dr. Jeremy also just mentioned how employees can ask for that sit down. You ask for that sit down, you create that space with hopefully you have like a leader that is open (laughs) and that wants to be able to have those conversations with you and receives well, then you can work together and working together is what will create that motivation. And those rewards may not necessarily be in the form of an actual award or time off or something like that. It could be in satisfaction for some people, but we have to be able to sit down with our team members and figure out what that is and what that means to them. How hard are you finding it in, in the real world of work to just have those conversations? So are people open to have those conversations or is it is the trust there? I think is what I'm really looking for to be open with each other. From my experience, the trust is there. It is there if the leaders, it's from a leadership perspective though, um, the trust is there. I have no issues going to those that are above me and I make it my business to start those conversations with those who work for me and to build those relationships. I'm not just asking them, hey, how's your family? All those generic questions. I'm like actually asking them questions about their life um, so that they can learn who I am and I can learn who they are. I'm not afraid to kind of break down the barrier and be like, "Mm, yep, I just mess that up royally. Like anybody know how to do this? Cause I do not know how to do this, but being real as a, not just a leader, but as a person allows that initial connection to take place. And that's where that trust builds from. And that makes the whole work environment just better, doesn't it? It does. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So um, I, what she uh, described is a lot of what I try to emphasize with leaders and that's the process we're pathing. And my favorite idiom to say there is if they don't see their future with you, they see someone else. And so you really, as a leader, need to, from the time you hire them, and this is this is attached to how you go through your hiring process, you know, what making sure that they have aligned value, they are somehow connected to the purpose of the organization. That creates the initial motivation. But if you from the get-go, ask them in the interview process, what do you do you like to achieve? What's your career path? What do you see as that? What's your next goal? Um, and make sure that hire people that have some kind of vision for achieving the next level that a company. And you talk about motivation. If you're helping 
achieve their career path, that is motivating in and of itself. If you're working for a company who's willing to help you get where you want to go, how much more motivating can that be? Right. If you're not motivated to focus on yourself, then maybe we have a different problem and shouldn't have this conversation. But that's um, it's 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 all connected in that. And um, yeah. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to say was the career pathing process fits perfectly with both um, Jeremy's uh, motivational citizenship model and Holly's uh, description of um, motivation. If you look at those two pieces and apply it to the career pathing, they're perfect. Linda and Tom, if I may, you you always bring so much to these discussions. Can you tell about Aspire to Align just to tell the audience a little bit about that, at least how to get in touch with? Sure. I work with organizations to really create employee engagement by connecting them, helping them align with the ultimate purpose. And for a lot of companies, that's really just consolidating and clarifying their um uh, communication of what their ultimate purpose is. But we start with a strategy and making sure that you've got all your peer strategy. Then we work with alignment and then we work with um, the engagement process and going through the hiring, the career pathing and employee engagement as a result. It's not a thing. And how do people get in contact with you or find your company? It's it's uh, aspire to align.com and it's l.roger at aspire to align. And that's um, uh, com. Thank you, Linda. And Tom, back over to you. And Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Going back to what Dr. Jeremy was saying about organizational citizenship and how at a certain point, uh, money will not motivate people any more than what they're already giving. You know, there is a flip side to that coin. There are people who are underpaid. They know that they're underpaid, but they continue to give 100% of them because this is who they are. It's part of their work ethic. It's part of their pride in their work. And unfortunately, it's all too easy for those individuals to be overlooked or maybe even taken advantage of sometimes. So that's something to keep in mind, because if we just focus on how much more money is it going to motivate this person who's not as motivated as I'd like them to be, let's not forget the employee who's already doing what they need to be doing and maybe has been overlooked and isn't being recognized and compensated um, in the way that they deserve to be. Yeah, definitely. We, we've got to move forward as one group. Holly, let's go to you. So a few things that have been uh, percolating regarding measuring motivation. I um, enjoy another part of my life as a coach, and I coach endurance athletes around the country, and it's something that I absolutely love to do. And one way that I kind of check in and measure that motivation is just asking three simple questions. Are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you hungry? And that really gives me a good, and my cadence is weekly. So no one escapes. And I'm checking data, qualitative and quantitative data. So biometrics, as well as how they're feeling on a daily basis. So I have a a way, a system to capture this data And then by, you know, having those conversations, I'm able to assess, are they happy, healthy, hungry? Um, But one way that I really like to encourage motivation is to focus on accomplishments versus waiting until the end of the year to have a a performance review, you know, asking an employee, what do you want to accomplish? Oh, I want to lead a team of 10. I want to work with um, new clients. I want to be in a stakeholder facing meeting. And then you can design experiences that help them accomplish something that aligns with the performance objectives of the organization 
and the motivation of the individual win-win. Um, and Dr. Jeremy, you had mentioned on something that makes me think of the power of a coach. And a coach is so important when it comes to maybe facilitating motivation in an organization because you can be that advocate. You can help somebody get the confidence in themselves to advocate for themselves. And um, I think that coaches are an underutilized source of power, really, in organizations. They're relegated to the C-suite and the executives when I really feel like the biggest impact is on the mass. Bring them to the individual contributors, bring them to the managers. Let's pull it out of the, the C-suite. It's a major, you know, it's a gasoline uh, for performance uh, for everybody. And um, something about competing, which was mentioned at the beginning of a session, I love to tell people that the root word of compete is Latin and it's competere, which means strive together, which means when you're competing, you literally need somebody else to be your best. And not everybody knows that that's the origin. And I just love it. I just want to beat the winner. <laughs> like everybody else. Amanda, let's go to you. I love that, Holly. I might. Would you mind if I borrow that in my strengths class that I use? Because there's a lot of competition folks and they're like, even if I'm competing against myself, I'm still competing and I'm going for a better time or a better quality product. So that's awesome. Um, I was not aware of that a root word. Um, the one thing I do keep hearing, and it seems like come somewhat of a pattern, is about focusing on the employee, um, like employee-centered design um, or employee-centered development, which is kind of a move that we're starting to do in our organization. Um, and I keep hearing folks indicating about advocating for yourself and making certain the manager and supervisor has those conversations. And I just think it's important for folks to acknowledge that there are people that are okay and happy with where they're at. They're satisfied because they're not there to find meaning at work. Um, especially some of the folks that are not a part of perhaps the millennial generation, which has a higher value of looking for that meaning and purpose at work. Um, because we need individuals in those roles that are happy, stable, and they don't want to go anywhere because that they find meaning and happiness elsewhere. I've worked with some folks that are in-house that have looked at what they want to do and has actually turned down promotional opportunities because they didn't want to take on that burden, that stress, that um, because that is going to trickle into work because it hasn't been a very good thing for their home life. And they have found that their home life is where they're finding most passion because they're in investing into that or kind of like what we see with some retirees that start backing out and start investing into other areas of where they're going to be motivated for their next phase of life, where it's going to be more focused on volunteerism, where it may be more engagement in their own unique hobbies. And I just think it's important for us to realize that not everybody wants that and nor can everybody have it. Because if everyone's wanting to go upward or outward, there are restrictions to that because there's not always going to be those opportunities. And if a supervisor and manager takes on that role and responsibility of asking and someone acknowledges that, hey, I'm okay with where I'm at, I don't need any more, that's okay. Yeah, we. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, for some people, when when we we sometimes negatively say, you know, just for the paycheck, but sometimes they're there just for the paycheck because the other parts of their life are really what they want to focus on. You know, I sometimes think, you know, if if I've got an Olympic athlete who's working for me, you know, but they're still pursuing their Olympic dream, <laughs> you know, I think their motivation is probably pretty good, and as a leader, I can probably benefit from that. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation, but I was going to mention something back what Holly said about recognition. And I think sometimes we make these things so huge and there are a lot of factors and we do deal with complexities in organizations. But I think something in motivation that's very critical is that feedback loop. And I think that is what recognition provides, right? We want people to be on their own career path. They want to help them achieve the collective goals. And we're seeing that most people are not recognized on a weekly basis, sometimes not even a monthly basis. So they're not getting that feedback on how their job and their efforts are having an impact. And that's a really critical point and people being like, oh, that worked well, they liked it, let's keep going. So when we think about motivation, I think that's critical. And I think it relates in some part to what Amanda was saying about meaning. And I I do personally believe that it is critical. I think it's okay if people aren't bought into their work being meaningful. And you know, I've even seen certain individuals that just like the family dynamic of their you know, manufacturing plant. And so if, but in a sense, that's bringing meaning through connection and a family-oriented culture. Another way I do think that um, the workplace is becoming more centered on meaning is creating more of a connection between the purpose of the organization and its reason for existing and how each individual role contributes. And when that individual role contributes, having that feedback, like I was talking about on how the results were impactful. So if they we're a manufacturing company and they welded 12 things and then those were had an impact and were sold effectively, that's actually really helpful information for that welder to feel like they're having a meaningful impact on a day-to-day in the company. How many, let me ask you, because I, I yeah, I'm I'm old enough, I remember the the TV series called Taxi, where you know <laughs> they were all cab drivers and none of, <laughs> none of them loved the job and they all hated their boss, but it was the sense of family that they had getting together every single day with those same people. So is that one of the motivating factors and things that we should be measuring is the relationship that the employees have with each other, that the team has with each other and how they relate to to the management? You know, Tom, I'll admit I have a personal bias towards this. I'm very high on connection and I find it very engaging when I know my colleagues deeply. And I think there are a lot of people that feel that way. And kind of like back to what Alana was saying, building those deep connections, knowing people on a personal level, feeling understood. I will say with a caveat, though, I have been seeing a few people in this culture building space where they're they're getting pushback. So an example is a software developer that doesn't like that interdependence of constantly having to check in with colleagues. It's actually totally reasonable to have a software developer that's spending 90% of their time alone as a 90th percentile introvert. Um, and I think we need to accept that as well. So I think it's, you know, continuing to build philosophies that and values that we can share while also appreciating individuals' own preference for their work style. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I've, I've just picked up a book uh, written by someone who leads remote-only companies, and he's talking about asynchronous work, that it should all be asynchronous that none of us should be talking to each other. We should just be doing our work. <laughs> and I think for him, that's the perfect way to work. It doesn't work for me. I, I like to talk to people. Uh, Jeremy, where has the hour gone? Um, it has flown by. Yes, um, 100% on what uh, Ariana said. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Next week, preventing bla- preventing backsliding and team cohesiveness. So next week's event, preventing backsliding and team cohesiveness say that five times very quickly in a row back to what our uh, ariana was saying 
yes. And I, I remember, Tom, you and I talked about this, some research where having a best friend in the workplace increases your productivity and your satisfaction at work. And again, back back to what Ariana was saying, it doesn't, you know, introverted people have best friends too, right? And she clearly stated that. But so listening to the podcast, don't think, all right, well, they're introverted, so it doesn't matter to them. Here's the general deal with introverted versus extroverted friends. Introverted people have a close group of friends, a small group of friends who they're very, very close to, where your extroverted people tend to have a larger group of friends, many of which might just be called a core. So yes, we all have very close uh, friendships. The uh, Quickly on what Dr. Martha was saying, uh, basically, uh, high performance does not mean that you're paying someone fairly. So if someone's, it's not an indicator. So if someone's a very high performer, always working their butts off, don't just assume that you're paying them fairly. Those are probably the people that you should take a really close look because there are likely some underlying things that might uh, come up as challenges. And the other thing too, so we talk about measurement, motivation, experimentation is good and experimentation is okay. And it's absolutely necessary. We do know a lot of because of the research and what that tells us. However, each organization is different, just like personalities. There's so many different variables. And there comes a point where you have to experiment. You also have to give it time. You might think one, three, even five years out to start to see actual results. The other thing is buy-in and the culture. It's no longer getting buy-in for a specific solution. Sometimes the buy-in is we're getting buy-in to for a, a search of a solution. So that's very important for you in the C-suite. Uh, to remember in terms of how do we go about doing that, Tom? Well, with that, Jeremy, I think that's probably a really good place for us to wrap this up. Um, we will see you all again, hopefully in one week's time. Uh, Jeremy's already given us a topic. It sounds like we'll have another fun discussion. Uh, so until next time, thank you very much, everybody. And Jeremy, let's count out. Excellent, everyone. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.